You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's programme we're going to hear from two sisters celebrating 25 years in the bakery business. We have a preview of this month's issue of Easy Food magazine to look forward to with editor Caroline Gray and Caroline has been in a few exotic locations of late so I'll be asking her about that. And finally, at the end of the show, Culture and Chips is back in Limerick City this weekend and Patricia Roberts from One Perry Square will be on the phone to tell us what we can expect from this year's festival. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here at the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we're heading to Ballyhahill in County Limerick. Last week I was talking about the success enjoyed by Limerick food businesses at this year's Blossom Heron Irish Food Awards. Well, one such company was Kearney's Bakery, which is celebrating 25 years this year. I took the short spin out the road earlier today to meet Sister Siobhan and Maura Kearney to find out more about their award-winning business. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Maura and Siobhan, congratulations on 25 years. The bakery here out in Ballyhahill yeah. in County Limerick, in West Limerick, in fact. And my first question to you whenever I came in through the door was, you know, 25 years, it's a, it's a, a great length of time to be in business. So I said, was it your parents that started it? And to my surprise, you said you both started it, two sisters started it 25 years ago. You must have been teenagers. Yeah, almost just a bit, a bit with it. Um, yeah, because we both had uh, trained in bakery production and management in uh, Kevin Street in Dublin. And uh, during our time there, I suppose, uh, we did a bit of market research and uh, just set up a pilot unit um, uh, from home uh, to see, I suppose, was there a demand for our product and also, I suppose, to finance college, uh, help us finance college a bit. And... Uh, yeah, when we had that, uh, when we had our time finished, while Siobhan was two years behind me, um, I worked in Lear Chocolates in Dublin for a while and then in, uh, went to Switzerland and worked in a bakery there. Um, and after six months there, I came home and we had to make the decision then, yeah, OK, are we going to go with this or are we going to forget about it and move on and become a PAYE? Um, so we did. And in 1992, at the age of 23 and 21, um, we moved in here, with, had our building built and had a bank loan, yeah. <laughs> growing up then, I'm going to presume that growing up your mother was a great beggar in the kitchen and that you spent a lot of time in the kitchen with her. Yes, indeed. Uh, she baked bread every day of the week and we always the, the bread pen was brought out and the, the, the mixing of it by hand and baked in the range. And I suppose that's where we got our the smells and the flavours and all, all that was instilled in us. And uh, even she went on to, she was, uh, as a treat, we'd have the, the sponge cakes and different niceties like that at the, the weekend. But, um, but soda bread was just always one of the things that was there for breakfast, for tea time, uh, supper time. It was uh, very, very much just at our hand and was got, got to develop our taste buds, I suppose, for that and kind of continued on with basically the same recipe. That's one of the first products that you ever had. Yes, it would. Soda bread would have been the, the first product, and then after that, it um, added to it with apple tarts, would have been another uh, big one for us, and uh, the fresh apple, and uh, then followed by the queen cakes, fruit cake, port cake, uh, tea brack is another uh, one of our favourites as well, and we actually sell that uh, all year round. And then on from that, then we would have. Um, the cupcakes is what the modern name is for them, um, you know, the fancy queen cakes. And then we would have, uh, at different times of the year, seasonal times, we would have other things like the Christmas cakes and uh, various cookies and things like that. So we would. The product range has grown then from a couple of products to a, a fairly wide range of products. Whenever you started out, it was just the two of you here. How many staff have you now on your team? Yeah, we have currently we have 22. So that's between production, packing and our uh, delivery team on the road. 
and then also say for the summer months which it would be a peak time for us um, we would have about maybe six or eight students as well and that would also help us to cover while our um, permanent staff are, uh, would take their holidays so yeah so we have a great team here now we started off as it was both Siobhan and I grew to one to two to three yeah so um, but the food I suppose anything related to food um, is labour intensive and a lot of it is hands on and our operation still is very much hands on because we try to keep it that way to keep I suppose uh, it to keep it genuinely home home baked and homemade and uh, it's, it's artisan I suppose really and that's just you can do things I suppose to make it easier this process easier as you go along but there's certain things that you don't cut, cut chart on um, as that's the making process plus also uh, the ingredients and we believe it believe in having 100% natural pure ingredients we don't add anything in with uh, preser- any preservatives in um, we use as Siobhan mentioned the fresh apple in our tarts uh, we use our, the whole eggs here um, all our brown flowers are Irish made all our flowers are Irish Irish made all our margarines our butter uh, you know all our products are Irish so yeah so we believe in it and having it 100% natural and just as someone if they went to bake at home in their own kitchen that that's that's all that's in our um, in our products nothing extra and I think whenever people see a product like bread and it's in packaging then they automatically assume that maybe there are other non natural ingredients in it so it's very important for them to read the label and read the packaging to see what the ingredients are yeah and I suppose as well sometimes people and maybe we're you know when you're buying and you're if, especially people maybe do a weekly shop or whatever they think sometimes their initial reaction oh yeah this is great this will last such a length of time but maybe that's not always good um i our limiting factor i suppose would be our shelf life because every all our breads that are made here and our scones between four o'clock and eight o'clock in the morning are gone out delivered today on the shop shelf and on your uh uh, table um, so yeah as I said the, it, we don't believe believe or agree in putting anything extra in to make that uh, shelf life longer you know it'll last a few days that's it after that then it's gone it's gone and you can taste that in the flavour well you can yeah because you're just get, getting the taste of the, the the natural wholesome ingredients that are in there there's nothing you know masking masking that as the team grew then from the two of you to three to four and the demand for the product grew, you obviously had to look at your facility and you were very clever, I feel, in the facility that you built because it, it just looks like a house as you, because I'd said that to you, was this the house? Yeah. It doesn't look like a factory from the outside. But for young women, you were very clued in and you were very clever whenever you made the decision early on to build here. Yeah, I suppose we were, even though we were young and and uh, I suppose when you're young, you have more, more courage, but we were still a bit nervous in case that the business wouldn't succeed. So we decided to build it um, as a house because, okay, if we failed as a business here, maybe who else would want a business unit out in the, the country? Because we're not even in the village of Elihal, we're a place called Tinnakilla. So, but at the time, Siobhan or I didn't have a house, so we said, okay, at least it would be a house to one of us, or it would be more saleable. Um, so, and actually, it, um, we did a few things, even like we put in an aerial for a TV in case we'd, we'd ever need it or a neighbour passed chimney bases yeah we brought the chimney uh, base up to ground level and the neighbour passed here I'd say we were here 15 years at the time maybe even 20 and he was passing he's passed up and down every day but he came to the door one day and he said and all the times I've passed up and down he said I only noticed today there's no chimney and the and this are in the roof, like, but we didn't, yeah, need to say carry it all the way to the top. But we had put in the base, but thankfully we never had to resort to that. We just, uh, as I said, we moved in in 1992, and by the year I suppose 98, we had outgrown it completely. We were so yeah. cut for space because the business had grown so much, and we just was getting busier and busier every day. So um, we had to that stage in. Uh, extend but that takes time again because okay it was back to the bank back to for planning but luckily we had the space because the fact that we had built, our father had given us this greenfield site that if we were inside in a town or a city we probably would have had to move completely because we may not have been able to go out the back or out at either side of us so yeah so we built uh, we extended then in uh, 2000 and moved into it in January 2000 
and again in 2004 and we kind of had grown again so we put on uh, another another section and again after maybe two years after that so yeah because we just the business just was growing so much and it was it was great yeah so sometimes new startup businesses they have a great product but maybe they're not so good at getting it out into the marketplace so what was your strategy back 25 years ago whenever you baked your breads you just went out in the road to sell them to people that you knew or did you do some market research how did that all work um, our market research, I suppose, a lot of it had happened uh, the years we were in college. But plus, as well, I was on the road delivering myself. I started off really. We both made it together. Siobhan would continue maybe with production, and I would hit off in my van and deliver. So I suppose I had direct contact with the the shopkeeper and the the end user, the customer, on a daily basis. And you like we would set up our route and the aim was to get the product out as quickly as possible and I suppose then just with time that route expanded and word got out there we had this product so we were I suppose in a very lucky and privileged position that we actually had uh, shop owners coming to us looking for our product because they had customers that heard about it and they want, they needed to carry it and I suppose our product is a bit like uh, the milk in the paper it's a daily product people like you know they go in and they buy their, their bread and scones fresh uh, every day so I suppose yeah it was our, our, our product really I suppose did our marketing for us because we had spent we did we did and do still do spend a lot of time on the quality of the, uh, the product so that's our marketing tool really and it spoke for itself which was great so we just followed on with that then and, and that face-to-face contact with the customer actually kind of trickled into new product development it did, as well. yeah especially actually one of our most popular breads um i was a uh, out delivering myself one day and I just meet this customer every uh, every morning and he said more I love I love your brown bread and I love your white bread but he said the brown is a little bit uh, too brown for me but he said I'd like something do do anything in between so I said leave it with me and I'll come back to you give me a bit of time so we worked in on a new product and the new product was as a lot of people know our brand bread which is now one of our most our best-selling um uh, product uh, he's passed on since but I will be forever grateful and I, I haven't forgotten it and that's maybe god I suppose that's 20 years ago 20 years ago now and unfortunately sometimes businesses don't listen to their customers and they don't take on board what they say but you obviously find that it was oh, so yeah, important for you to do that yeah, yeah. yeah and even now day to day even though I might be in production and we have our van drivers out on the road Maura still does like a certain day of the week or every couple of weeks visits the, the shops and is able to meet the customers and uh, in, in the shop or you know out and about so or if she covers a delivery for holidays she gets to to meet the customers then as well so it keeps in touch and you need yeah. to and hear what's out what they're looking for and it may only be one comment that a customer might pass that could trigger it just would uh, yeah trigger a thought and you say god yeah I hadn't thought of that or it would be just an idea for a new product or it may even be just to change something in our existing product because um, yeah you know we always like to hear back from the from the customer okay we're lucky we get great compliments but like as I said even if it's constructive criticism we like to hear it back because we can then improve because as I said you, it's a product you're making on a daily basis it's handmade to a certain extent so it's not machine manufactured that every unit is exactly the same every day even though we aim to do it and do it our best and we would have like everything would be weighed here to to make sure that it is every unit is as near as the possible but you still have that handmade element in it I suppose it just maybe compare it a little bit like to your box of milk tray and your handmade chocolates you know everything is so uniform when you buy your box of your chocolates like that whereas the hand ones are made yeah, there, I suppose it just comes across there a bit, um, made with a bit more attention and, and care and that. Yeah, so um, so yeah, we do like mm-hmm. to hear back from our customers all the time, and we would be out there, uh, as I said, be it on the road delivering or just out in the sh- shops. We do tastings, promotions, and that just to get feedback uh, from our customers and that we value it. Is your customer network is it in close proximity to where you make the the bread? Is it is it available nationwide? No, uh, not nationwide. We really are from I suppose Limerick City to Killarney, so in all the towns and that um, uh, in between. So we would have between seventy and eighty stores um, at 
at this stage. Yeah, as I said, I suppose our limiting factor, going back to the shelf life again, kind of prohibits the, um, uh, the nation the nationwide aspect to the to the business um, but you never know we might in the future come up with uh, another product that would have uh, but you know have a bit longer shelf life again but without adding in the, the preservatives what have the highlights been for you over the past 25 years I know you've won a few awards that must be a great boost to the whole business and to yourselves that you know you're doing something right and, and your efforts are being recognized yeah, I suppose um, the highlights, I suppose, when we started off first, we thought celebrating 10 years and we had a great time here when we celebrated our 10th anniversary. We had all our uh, customers in that year of a day and they were all, like, I suppose, impressed with the setup. It wasn't what they had thought it would be. Um, then we continued on to ce- celebrate 20 years and this year 25. So I suppose to have survived um, all you know, the recession and all those years. Um, yeah, we, I suppose, we kind of do give ourselves a clap on the back for that. Um, as well as that, this year then, we also got um, involved in National Bread Week, which I think was great because it's uh, highlighted the goodness of bread, you know, to people, because I think people may have lost sight of that because there has been a lot of adverse publicity on bread, but uh, we all need it as part of a balanced diet. And there is you know, a lot of nutrients, iron, protein and that in bread and it I think people have forgotten about that maybe a small bit. But uh yeah, so we as I said got involved in that and also now just last weekend we have um uh, won bronze for our uh, brown soda bread at Blossom Heron Awards so um that was worth celebrating. Absolutely. And then for the next twenty five years, what are the plans, the dreams, the aspirations? You know, it's just to keep the business um, um, motivated and you know think of new products try them okay they don't maybe might work seasonal but um, you still have to be up there to see what you know and see what's out there and in the hope that um, you know okay we'll have our day-to-day stuff and that would all continue selling and you know we'd be able to um, next year maybe have another few awards or something under our belt to keep the the whole show on the road but uh, for the moment, I think we we heading for Christmas, so we have a lot to, a lot to do. It's a busy time for you, I would imagine. Yes, Christmas is. Uh, there's like the the early preparation. Uh, some people say, "Oh God, you're not talking about Christmas already." It's way down the line. But in this business, you have to get the Christmas cakes prepared and uh, so that they are matured, and then you have the icing of them. And we do all that here ourselves, and the almond paste, uh, uh, that has to be made by hand as well. So there's a lot of work involved, and of course the mince pies, once the Halloween is over, they start kicking in. And uh, again, uh, there's work involved in all of them, so trying to, even though probably the day-to-day stuff maybe might be a bit quieter at the time, uh, because, you know, the days are shorter and darker, but... Um, behind the scenes we would be quite busy with the Christmas preparation all right. Well congratulations on your 25th anniversary I think it's a wonderful achievement and you know from one female person Mm. to another it's always great to see women doing so well in business and two sisters that can work Mm. well together because I'm not sure if my sister and I could do that. (laughs) So I'll be watching the next 25 years with interest and I hope you'll have me back then for uh, another update (laughs) and thanks for having me today. Thanks very much Karen. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was in Ballyhahill in County Limerick talking to sisters Siobhan and Maura Carney about their 25-year-old bakery. And I can't help but be impressed by the two ladies taking the plunge and starting their own business when they were barely out of college. And it's a clear indication of their entrepreneurial spirit. And Carneys weren't the only bakery in West Limerick to do well at this year's Bloss Nairn Irish Food Awards. Toomey's Bakery returned from Dingle where the awards take place to their base in Drumcolliher with four awards. They got gold for their sliced batch loaf, silver for the five grain batch and two bronze, one for the large white slice pan and one for the multi-seed loaf. So well done. We're spoilt for choice with good quality bread in this part of the world. 
If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8 o'clock. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, we'll be hearing from one Perry Square's Patricia Roberts about what we can enjoy at this year's Culture and Chips Festival in Limerick. But before that, it's over to the phone to hear about this month's Easy Food magazine, thanks to editor Caroline Gray. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, you're very welcome to the programme this evening and it's ages since we were talking to you and you've been off on your travels. Very exotic locations, Vietnam (laughs) and Thailand. Yes, I know, Sharon. Oh my gosh, yeah, it was just a, a whirlwind of a month or so. It was just, it was amazing. And uh, I mean, there's so much to be said for Thailand and Vietnam just as destinations for beautiful things to see and do. And the people could not be friendlier. But of course, just, you know, occupational hazard, the food itself was well worth the trip. I mean, I, I think I'm, I've been back about two weeks now and I'm still getting the cravings for just, you know, different noodles and just the combination of flavors between like red chili, peanuts, fish sauce and coriander. I'm like, I just can't get enough of it now. <laughs> and the cuisine in Vietnam compared to Thailand, are they similar or, you know, you know there's a lot of overlap there? Well, like, I mean, I suppose when we were in Thailand, we were only there for a couple of days, really. But like, you know, you see so many great, like the curries and the, I mean, I had the most amazing, pa- like I'm a big fan of Pad Thai as it is. And um, I just had the absolute best one I've ever had there for, you know, it was, it was actually peanuts. Like it just, it cost next to nothing. And I was just amazed that I was like, you could get something so flavorful and that you know i think because they're using what i found in some of the thai cuisine anyway now this may have just been what i saw but you know they're using more tamarind and they're you're kind of getting a little bit more of the sweet and um savory flavors and of course the heat like there's great chili and there's great uh flavors in that in, in vietnam i suppose the french influence there is still you can kind of still get that in a lot of cuisine so you still get you know the really fresh flavors and the heat from the chilies uh but like we found there were so many banh mi's everywhere and that's just their kind of vietnamese sandwich that's you know it's on a baguette so you definitely get that french influence and then it's usually filled with um like chili sauce uh coriander maybe more chilies uh cucumber or carrot and then different meats so you could get like pork or chicken. And then what I found really interesting is that a lot of them, you, know, you can get like a fried egg on it. You know, I must have had six of them throughout the trip and no, not one was similar to the next. But a lot of them you'd get pate, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but then like that, you think, I'm like, sure, if I suppose, again, that French influence there, you know, you're getting a baguette with pate and kind of different meats, but you're with those really fresh, delicious Vietnamese flavors. So I mean, like that. I, I, it's something now that I've been back, I'm like, I just need to be cooking Vietnamese food. Or I need to be going out and getting Vietnamese food. So uh, it's well worth the trip now. <laughs> Was there a lot of street food there? Because that's what I totally. would envisage with Thailand and Vietnam. Exactly. Oh, so much street food. So that was um, that was just a real treat in that, you know, at first, I suppose sometimes people are kind of thinking, um, oh, I'm not too sure. You know, they're cooking these things right in front of you. But Sure, that's what everybody's eaten anyway there. So it's kind of like, you know, they, it costs next to nothing. And um, some of the stands like that, the Bonmi's were everyone we got there uh, was always from a street vendor. And so, you know, it's just kind of people, they just had everything in front and you can nearly just kind of pick out what you wanted to put on, you know, if you wanted meat and everything, they'd just cook it and it'd be done in about a minute. Um and then a lot where like there would just be, I suppose, different skewers of, and to be honest, we didn't know what a lot of them were, uh, but like that, you kind of just pick out what you want, put it in a box, give it to them, they fire it, you know, on top of this little mini barbecue for a few minutes and you get it. It's hot. They have all these sauces. It's um, delicious. And one of my, our favorite things that we did actually um, in Vietnam, this was in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, but I believe they have it in other cities as well, is you can actually do a street food motorbike tour. So it's like this group of people, like, and I suppose they're kind of like college students, and they all each have their motorbikes, and everybody is on a motorbike there, which is amazing. And so they basically take you to all these different, some of the best street foods in the city. And, you know, it's an enormous city, so, like, you would never, ever in a million years be able to cover it yourself. Um, And so like that, there were just some of the things we had on that trip or, or on that little tour were so memorable. And we learned about this one woman, and she's making these salads, and again, it's like, 
you know, leaves and um, kind of really finely shredded fresh vegetables, lots of coriander, peanuts, fish sauce, chili. And then she actually had dried beef livers. Um, and it just tasted like really amazing beef jerky and just in this really gorgeous kind of sweet and kind of, you know, spicy sauce. And she's made so much over the last, I think she's been doing it for 30 years. She's made so much on these salads that she sent her two sons to college in New York City. Like, I mean, this is how good this street food is. And it's not that it costs a lot, but it's just, you know, it's by no means like a, an afterthought, I suppose, in terms of their cuisine there. It's, it's really something special. That sounds really exciting to be. Yeah. Do you sit on the back on the back of the bike with the person, or do you ride you do. your own bike? No, you're on the back, and um, you know you can obviously any time you can always like rent your own bike and kind of go for a spin. But I suppose, especially being in a big city uh, like Ho Chi Minh, I mean, it was unreal. I wish I'd nearly filmed some of the roundabouts we went through. It's an absolute free for all. <laughs> like, but um, yeah, no, sure. They all everybody just kind of goes with the flow, and they know what they're doing, and um, it's kind of like organized chaos, I suppose. So, um, yeah, so we were on the back of the motorbikes there and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was an amazing little, it's an amazing thing to do. If you're ever, I suppose, in Vietnam, anybody, um, definitely look up these tours. Well worth it. And a great way to find those hidden gems that you wouldn't otherwise know about. Exactly. hundred percent. Well, on to this month's issue of the Easy Food magazine, which came out last week and the guest editor this month is Simon Delaney. So delighted to have Simon as our guest editor. Um, like we, we, uh, easy food, we have a, um, slot on Saturday AM on TV three and we often do the cooking, uh, segment on there. And so we've known Simon for a couple of years now and he is just an absolute delight as a person. And he's always been so interested in food. Like every time we're doing the slot, he's always the first one over like, what are we doing today? Let me help with this. And, and to be honest, one of the things we mentioned in the article is that, um, every Saturday morning. Um, Simon's always there before kind of anybody else has really gotten a chance to set up and he cooks a fry for everybody on the crew. So just to make sure that everybody there gets like a full breakfast before the show starts, like he's just kind of man in the, you know, (laughs) I suppose man in the pans. Um, So he's so into cooking and he absolutely loves, you know, everything about, um, especially, I suppose, like diner cuisine. Um, So he's coming out with his first cookbook uh, this month and it's all about like American diner cuisine and kind of his spins on it and how you can kind of adapt it, I suppose, maybe uh, using like Irish ingredients and even just for an Irish palate, maybe. Um, so it's really gorgeous things like there's pulled pork mac and cheese. You know, he does his like ultimate burger. Of course, he has like sticky wings in there. And and like he's talking about like some of the places, especially in Dublin, that you might be able to find like great wings and places around the country that are really specializing in this and sort of just... Um, you know, kind of bringing it so the home cook can do it as well. So I think for some people it might be a bit of a, you know, not even a surprise, but they're like, oh, I didn't realize he was so into it, but he did so well on um, Celebrity MasterChef Ireland uh, at the end of, or no, sure, it was the beginning of this year. And um, he absolutely loved that experience. And I think he's really just kind of taking the bull by the horns and being like, listen, like I love food so much. It's really such a passion of mine. He's really good at it too. I can attest. Uh, so it's so exciting to see him coming out with his cookbook. And um, he's done a few uh, food festivals this summer where he's done live demos. And I mean, sure, he's such an entertainer as it is, like the fact that he can kind of combine that background and that skill set with this passion of his, like he's an absolute natural really great to see him kind of doing so well with it now and like that we're delighted to have him in the issue. I met him about this time last year before they started filming Celebrity MasterChef and he was really keen to find out as much as he could about different cooking techniques and even prep techniques and I thought he was so funny on the programme whenever yeah. they had some seaweed ingredients there there was nori <laughs> and something else and he was like I've uh-huh. never heard of these things before he thought yeah. they were names of premiership football players uh-huh. he was very funny because of course he is a comedian as well as an oh, actor yeah. and oh, a TV presenter <laughs> totally like that's the thing I mean he's he's just he just rolls with everything like we were it was great because he came into the office into the easy food office here a few weeks back just to kind of do some you know he wanted to guess which which is great he wanted to get as involved as possible like you know he wanted to make sure that he could kind of have a look over the spreads and meet the team behind the magazine and so he was in the office just for a couple of hours 
and we did some behind the scenes photos and stuff, which are in um, the October issue of the magazine. And I, like after he left, everybody, and sure, it was, you know, it's always the way it seems like it's such a busy day. And then you're like, oh, we're going to do this day, we're going to do this. And everyone's like, okay, okay, let's like, you know, make sure we get this done right. But at the end of it, like, I'd say he could have stayed the entire day and everybody would have happily dropped their work because they were just having such a great time with him. Like you said, he's an absolute comedian, he's such a natural. And um, like he, you know, he was chatting away to our food stylist down in the test kitchen and they like that. They were just kind of swapping tips. He was just, you know, making them laugh. It's great. For it's great because I'm sure, I know they had, they were having such a busy day. So it was just such a nice, um, you know, relief, I suppose, just to kind of put down the work for a minute and be able to just kind of like chat away. And he's so appreciative and he's so happy to be involved in everything with food. But like that, like, you know, we're learning, he's still learning. Like it's all about, you know, and he'll say himself, he knows what he loves the best. And that's what's you know, and I suppose so great to see with his cookbook. Like he's doing a lot of real standard um, American fare. And I suppose being American, like it's really exciting for me to see this. And I know some of these things are just unreal. Like he's doing like lobster rolls. Like I said, the the wings, he's doing like a real classic New York baked cheesecake. Um, so I like, I just know that these things are going to be unreal. And I'm, I'm hoping that he does get to as many kind of festivals and he has as many opportunities to kind of sample these things out from his cookbook because I think he said himself I forget he did one recipe oh do you know what it was the pulled pork mac and cheese he did it um, maybe it was oh, I don't remember if it was taste a cabin or if it uh, what festival it was at and you know I think he was like people were licking the plates clean it's something that maybe people aren't maybe you know the the dish itself might not be as familiar with but when you actually get to taste it and get to try it it's just Oh my gosh, it's it's unreal. So that's why I'm hoping that like he really has as many opportunities to kind of get out there and sample the food from this book because it's so delicious. Well, there's no better compliment than somebody licking the plate clean after you've totally. gone to the, the time and effort to cook something for him. Exactly. So, great <laughs> recipes in there by Simon and also lots of other recipes with a Halloween theme this month. Exactly, sure. Because that's the thing, you know, I mean, with October, we're really kind of kicked off into the um, cooler months anyway. So it's, you know, we have a lot of like warming dishes and getting back into just those meals that kind of warm you up at the end of the day. But of course, you know, it's Halloween. So we have um, a couple nice features. So we, we definitely, we have a kind of a step-by-step -step recipe for kids to make at home for um, just a real traditional barn brack. Um, so with that, like, you know, we're kind of talking about the, the history of it and kind of, you know, kind of hiding the little tokens in, in a very safe manner, of course, uh, but just a nice uh, guide for kids to kind of cook along to. Um, and then our one of our food stylists, uh, Shannon, is an absolute expert with cakes and everything baking. So she does a nice article in there as well every month now where she talks about, you know, anything to do with baking, whether it's like um, common pitfalls you might encounter or ways to save maybe disasters that have happened and then she always include a couple of nice recipes so this month she's talking about um just some of the traditions with irish bakes for halloween in general so of course like you know she's going on barn brack and a couple of other different things and then she does this stunning um gooey graveyard cake so it's it's a two-tier chocolate cake with a real nice chocolate ganache on the outside and just some kind of uh, crushed up chocolate biscuits around the base and the top and then she's stuck little like marshmallows and biscuits in the top to look like ghosts and uh, gravestones it's actually so cute and it's so easy so it's actually it's such a great idea if you were hosting a halloween party um, or anything like that whether you know for adults or kids um, everybody in the office devoured this cake and it was so cute we nearly didn't want to touch it it was so nice then as well we, we have a nice little feature I guess spooky snacks that don't really, you're not going to feel bad giving your kids. Um, you know, these are healthier treats for Halloween. So kind of some like ghoulish looking little uh, snacks, but that are made from very healthy things. Like, you know, we have apples and different fruits and um, pretzels. So, you know, maybe some nice healthy snacks that you, you again, you wouldn't feel bad serving your kids if, if you did have maybe some uh, children come over for a Halloween party or anything like that. So I feel like we're covering the basis for Halloween, whether it's you're entertaining or it's just a quick treat or you want something more traditional. You had me there at the ganache and the cake. I'm still oh. licking my lips thinking about yeah, that. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> I know as, as I was talking about, I was like, you know what, I might have to host a Halloween party and make this cake. <laughs> 
Now, in Limerick at the moment, we're celebrating the Pigtown Culture Series because, of course, Limerick is very much associated with ham and bacon. And your butcher this month is looking at bacon. Yep, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so our one of our local butchers, Michael Fleming, um, has a great article every month where he'll kind of just answer kind of common questions or um, just any general information, uh, anything you might need to know going to the butcher. So this month he's talking to us about bacon and, you know, rashers and just, I suppose, you know, what the different, what, what it means when you're going to buy. Because sure, we see obviously there's the streaky bacon and then there's just the normal kind of, I suppose, the, the common back rashers. Then different ways like, you know, what does it mean when it says dry cured or like what's a wet cure? Um, the medallions, like, you know, what's, uh, for a lot of people, I suppose, you kind of know more or less picking it up, like what you might need it for, what you're going for, but he's offering a lot of really helpful advice, um, you know, in terms of how to get the most flavor from it or depending on what you're cooking or what you're going for, you know, what cut or what, how it's trimmed or what cure is really the best to buy. Of course, like loads of bushers now, you can get turkey bacon if you're looking for something that's really high protein and low in fat. And of course, at the end of the day, there's no best bacon. Like there's no absolute, I suppose, best cut. It just depends what you're using it for. That being said, you know, he's saying, obviously bacon it just has such an amazing flavor, um, just giving you that real kind of smoky, meaty flavor is, you know, I suppose one thing he was saying, which is a, a really great tip, even if you're planning, on, I suppose, wanting to eat a leaner cut of it, you know, even cooking it down in a pan where you can kind of render the fat off of the bacon first and then trimming it off so you're not actually eating it. But, you know, you could use that fat to, I suppose, flavor something else in place of oil or butter. I mean, it's just, you know, kind of like goose fat or duck fat. It's absolute it's liquid gold in terms of cooking. Um, so like that, it's it's I guess he's trying to help us get out of the idea of just buying one type for everything but really thinking about like you know this is such a great ingredient and um, there are so many things you can do with it so just about shopping a little bit more uh, wisely I suppose. And you're talking about the different cuts of bacon there and some of them would certainly lend themselves very well to slow cooking. Definitely so um, you know even I suppose like you know, streaky rashers are going to come from the belly of the pig, and that's what you're going to get pork belly from, uh, you know, when you're getting, like, the big chunks of it, and that's a great one to kind of cook down low and slow, and we have a really, really nice feature in this issue um, for slow cooking. Again, it's that time of year, so whether or not you have a slow cooker, like, I still think it's one of the best things to invest in. Like, sure, it takes, you know, you have to have some storage space for it, but it's an absolute gem um, in terms of, kind of just setting something in there to cook away. And that's what we did with these. So we have um, a nice beef bourguignon. We have this gorgeous Mexican chicken um, that, uh, I mean, it's, an, it's it's one of the favorites. I mean, so many people in the office, after having tasted it, when we tested it, um, went home, bought the ingredients themselves and cooked it for their families because it was such a winner. Um, and then a really gorgeous uh, kind of slow cooked uh, lentil curry. So again, there's something for everybody, whether you're going vegetarian, beef, chicken, pork, you name it. Um, but just getting into slow cooking, you know, it's a great reason to be able to go to the butcher and buy maybe a cheaper cut of meat. Um, you know, pulled pork is one of my favorites. And I love talking to the butcher asking like, you know, depending on what they have in, if it's pork neck or pork shoulder, pork leg, you know, you can get the, the cheaper one really, because you're going to cook it down. You're going to flavor it with all these amazing spices and, you know, even the, the, the juice it cooks and render that down, make your own homemade barbecue sauce. It takes actually no time at all, your actual kind of prep and everything for it. But because it cooks so long and just it lets the flavors blend, you're just left with this absolutely stunning dish. Um, and so like that, we love it. I know our um, food stylists and recipe testers, they'd often kind of start one the night before, like, oh, at least that way dinner's done for tomorrow. And then you, you might have leftovers. It's so it's just such a amazing style of cooking. But I think sometimes people are a little bit put off by it because they're not too sure um, you know, what to buy or what to include. Uh, and so like that, I think the recipes we have in this issue are a great starting point for people, um, delivering huge flavor, absolutely minimal effort like that. The Mexican chicken is, it's literally putting everything into the pot at once, letting it cook and then taking the lid off and shredding chicken so that you can use it on top of rice. You could use it in wraps. Sure, you could have it on the side for a salad. Um, so I think slow cooking is just, it's one of the best ways to cook, especially this time of year. And 
it's it's honestly foolproof. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. At this time of the year, we want to be coming home, putting everything in and getting all those lovely, homely flavours. Exactly. Oh, and the smells that just go through the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, <Unreal>. because <laughs> then the spices, we would use a lot of spices at this time of year. Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, winter is, it's all about getting into the spices, really warming up with those, um, you know, I suppose, kinds of flavours. And um, we have, uh, it's, it's actually, it's been one of my favorite baking features we've done uh, in, in the last year anyway, maybe the last few years, uh, but we have a nice uh, baking feature just featuring spices. So um, on the cover of this issue is one of the recipes from that. And I must say, like, we did these, so they're basically like apple donuts, apple spice donuts. Um, now they're they're in like a ring shape, so they're not filled, but it's, it's so, the, the batter itself, the dough itself is so simple. It's basically, you know, it's like ground apples and cinnamon and nutmeg and uh, brown sugar and then they're they, these are fried uh but you know if you made them i suppose um you know reduce some of the liquid content shaped them uh you could bake them either uh, but these were honestly just one of the nicest things that has come out of the test kitchen in a long time they're so gorgeous but then also in that future so we have like a really gorgeous kind of um dark ginger loaf and kind of like speculoos biscuits ginger whoopie pies like I, I, oh and this really 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 gorgeous which has been one of my favorite recipes for years um a really lovely kind of cinnamon apple cake with uh kind of a nice even spiced cream cheese frosting on that so there's just uh, like i mean that's the thing even just thinking through the future now myself i'm like oh it must be must make some of those now and you're talking about apples and we'll just mention very briefly to finish off that jocelyn was up in the orchard county there Yep, exactly. Yeah. So Jocelyn, um, our SP editor, uh, actually, yeah, so she and I took a trip up to Armagh uh, a little bit ago, and it was absolutely amazing. We had such a great time. And even that, just even just being in Armagh itself, the amount of amazing food producers and ingredients that they're uh, kind of churning out, it was mind boggling. So even for her article, it was t- it was difficult to just focus on one, but of course, you can't ignore like the Bramley apple. So, uh, you know, we, we were fortunate to kind of go to a few cider producers and I think, you know, she'll say herself, she's never been a big cider drinker. She would have always considered it too sweet. It's just, you know, there's kind of no real depth of flavor based on some of the ones that she would have, you know, had, I suppose, just over the years. And then we get to Armagh and it's just, you know, the only thing you can equate it to is really as if you were going to like vineyards in France, like just being able to taste different, um, you know, different levels of sweetness or dryness with the ciders and how it is so influenced by, uh, you know, what grows near it or the land there. Again, it's the whole terroir thing with France, with French wines or any wines really, um, but in cider form. So it was an abs- it was such a treat, um, not only to have cider, obviously, just to kind of have, um, you know, sample them on their own, but the chefs are doing such amazing things, like with the apples themselves and working cider into the, the menus, either as part of the food or really pairing it so well with different courses. I mean, it was, it's one of those things, I think midway through the day, we were both like, we really must plan like a proper weekend up here um just to really kind of i suppose indulge in all the delicious food and drink so um yeah so she writes a really really nice article in this issue kind of going over that and then includes a great recipe uh for actually like a nice little uh brie a ham brie and apple uh toasted sandwich that would be great with a glass of cider <laughs> well of course i'm always going to recommend a trip to the north i'm a bit biased you know a bit like you in the states i'm a bit biased totally. a fantastic issue caroline jam-packed as always so it is out on the shelves already and next month then we have the christmas annual to look forward to yeah so um yeah we're getting right into christmas so the christmas issue will be on sale the 8th of november and um yeah Again, the go-to guide for everything you need to know in terms of cooking your Christmas dinner. (laughs) Well, we look forward to talking to you about it then. In the meantime, enjoy putting it all together. Thanks so much, Erin. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine.
Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine, provided us with an insight into this month's issue and the guest editor for the October issue is Simon Delaney. And earlier in the programme, sisters Maura and Siobhan Carney shared details about their 25-year journey running their own bakery in Ballyhahill. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. So now it's time to head back over to the phone where Patricia Roberts is waiting to tell us about this year's Culture and Chips Festival. It's starting this Thursday in Limerick City. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Good evening, Patricia, and you're very welcome to the programme this evening and you're going to tell us all about Culture and Chips, which kicks off this week. Sure, Culture and Chips back this year. Um... While the main event will run on Saturday the 14th of October, we have some fringe events starting, kicking off on the Thursday evening, the 12th of October. Um, The festival opens with a sherry fish and chip tasting at number one. On the Friday, the 13th, we have a screening of Chips the Movie at the Bell Table. Friday the 14th being the main um, day uh, where we have the Crescent area of O'Connell Street, which um, beautiful Georgian um, quarter of uh, Limerick is where the culture and chips will actually happen. There you'll have food stalls, food traders, uh, food demos, uh, lots of food events, including the World Recipe Exchange, Urban Edible Garden. And at the end of the day, we will have the World Chip Champion Competition, which will be great fun, where we will crown the World Chip Champion in Limerick. And over the Sunday, a couple of more events, um, sing-along brunch, which happens at the new canteen on Catherine Street, um, where Paul will have a sing-along brunch from 11, so everybody needs to be um, have their vocal cords ready for that one. And uh, we have some autumn autumnal food uh, wreath-making um, as well on the Sunday morning. And Sunday evening, we close up with opera and chips at number one, so something a little bit different. You've gone with a theme this year. Will you tell us a bit about what it is? Uh, eating the city, I suppose... Um, Simply, that's what we would like to see more people do, you know, eat in Limerick City Centre. We now have such a wonderful array of um, different styles of food available, um, from street food to high-end to casual to more finer size. There's just so much on offer now in the city. And I suppose that's what we'd like to highlight to um, both Limerick City and Limerick County and and the suburbs is to say eat in the city and consider eating in the city the next time you're going out for whatever the occasion may be. And where the festival is being held is a very special part of Limerick City because it's the Georgian Quarter. Yes, well, you know, I've obviously, I myself, having a business in the Georgian area, I'm particularly um, fond of the Georgian area of Limerick. Um, I guess we have one of the um, most beautiful Georgian quarters um, in any city in, in Ireland. And it's, it's great to have an event like this to enable us to showcase what it has to offer and for people to come to the Georgian quarter and and just to browse, spend time there, um, you know, sit down, have your food from the stall and, and just soak it all up and enjoy what the, the Georgian streetscape has to offer. And then, of course, you know, we have the barbecue championships happening in the People's Park as well. So it really will make people move around the Georgian quarter of Limerick and get to see it at its best, hopefully. And your business is the beautiful One Perry Square. And on Thursday, you're hosting Sherry and Chips. That sounds quite novel. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I guess it's something that we've been looking at for for some time. We... Um, the, the trend followers tell us sherry is the new wine with dinner and we see a lot more people, you know, a little bit of a renaissance on the sherry again. We've seen what has happened with gin and how that has exploded over the last 12 to 18 months. And um, sherry seems to be the new thing. Um, so for a little bit of fun, we've, um, but I, be- I do believe from the experts that sherry and chips go really well together. So I guess we'll find out more on the 12th where Sinead Cabot, who's a winemaker actually, a winemaker herself in Slovenia, will tell us um, tell us more about her thoughts on sherry with fish and chips. Of course, chips are very much at the heart of the festival and one of the highlights is the chip championships. Uh, yes, we, the chip championship um, has come, is, it was uh, the whole idea was born through culture and chips, the festival. 
I guess, you know, people say often say white chips. I guess everybody loves chips. And these days there's lots of different types of chips. It's not just the, the good old spot anymore. Um, there's lots of different, it's very inclusive. Um, I think all ages love chips. Um, we've got some of the best chippers in Limerick City. Um, chips are probably on nearly every menu. And, you know, there's just the focus on, on, on the good, humble spot, I think, has been great fun. Um, plus, it's very relevant. And so we're having it the cook-off at five o'clock that evening, whereby there'll be three finalists selected um, for the chip champion. So it'll be, it'll be great fun. And, you know, audience, there'll be hopefully a good audience there. People will come along and view the cook-off while it's while it's happening on the Crescent area and um, yes and we'll have the world chip champion. Collaboration is very important when you host a festival of this nature and you have a number of different people who are well known such as Wade Murphy and Val O'Connor taking part. Yeah sure well of course it's the, all these people are, um, are superb ambassadors for food in the city and I think we all share the common ethos to eat, eat, eat in the city and um, you know uh, Val is doing her, her tour of the market, um, a foodie tour which is wonderful and um, gives people another chance to sample different things um, Wade will do a demo um, again just to highlight um, his style of cooking, his food um, a- alongside um, a couple of other demos that will happen um, on the day so yes it, it's you know the having people like that involved is so important because uh, they're ambassadors for good food and to eat in the city. A very exciting lineup of events. If people want to get more information, where's the best place for them to go? Cultureandships.com, um, hashtag eat in the city. Um, we would we still have availability for some more traders. If any local food producers or traders are interested in being involved, um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we have put several calls out. Um, but again, there is a couple of um, opportunities still available. We'd love to hear from any small local producers would be wonderful um, or people, traders who would like to do some food tastings or indeed if any of the uh, hotels, restaurants would like to get involved with the chip offering, we'd love to help promote it for them over the weekend as well. As I say, an amazing lineup of events, Patricia. Thanks so much for talking to me about it this evening and we look forward to it this weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. And that was Patricia Roberts from One Perry Square, the boutique hotel in the Georgian quarter of Limerick City. And she was telling us about this year's Culture and Chips Festival. And that brings us to the end of this week's programme. Thanks for tuning in and to all of tonight's guests, Siobhan and Maura Carney, Patricia Roberts and Caroline Gray. Next week, we'll try to have Simon Delaney on to talk about his new cookbook. And we plan to talk to Kira Leahy from Irish Country Living about the upcoming Women and Agriculture Conference that's on later this month in County Carlo. So until then, have a great week and bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs>